from the campuses of East Tennessee State University in Johnson City, Tennessee, and Emory and Henry College in Emory, Virginia. This is Religion for Life. I'm John Shuck. Religion for Life explores the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. And we tackle the most important questions. What is the most important theological question? Now, I had to answer that question when I completed my personal information form when I was looking for a call in the Presbyterian Church over 10 years ago, a call that uh, led me to Elizabethton. It's a good question. What is most important? What is life about? What are we here for? Growing up in church, I remember that question being asked and the answer provided for us. The most important question I was told when I was a child in church was this. If you die today, are you certain that you will go to heaven? That's the most important question. A variation of it is, are you saved? So I thought of that when I looked at the question on the form 10 years ago, how far I had come since childhood. The fate of my soul in the afterlife is not the most important question for me today. It's not even in the top 100. My views regarding God and salvation and what it means to be a human being have traveled light years since then. I answered that question 10 years ago by saying, the most important theological question is this. My nephew Hunter is one year old. I'm 42. The most important theological question is, what will the world be like when Hunter is 42? And I would ask that same question today, except I would have to admit that I'm now 52. The situation of Earth is particularly precarious. We are not in balance. We power our lives with non-renewable finite sources of energy that spew waste products into the ecosystem. The late Thomas Berry wrote about our odd habits in his book, The Great Work. He wrote, the ideal is to take the greatest possible amount of natural resources, process these resources, put them through a consumer economy as quickly as possible, then on to the waste heap. This we consider as progress. Well, my friends, it is literally killing us. We need a new religion. This is a spiritual problem. We need to ask and answer the most important question. And if those questions and answers don't have anything to do with life on earth for future generations, then they are not worthwhile questions. So I'm bringing in the authorities today. If we won't listen to Thomas Berry or any of the other thousands of people calling us to wake up, maybe we'll listen to a nun. In the studio with me, I have two guests. Sister Paula Gonzalez, also known as the Solar Nun, is with us from Ohio uh, on tour. Uh, she visited uh, Johnson City in April and uh, to speak at various organizations and groups, including the campus, about ecological issues. And uh, she is the being hosted by Carol Landis, who is a board member of the Green Interfaith Network, uh, who brought uh, Paula, Sister Paula to Johnson City. Welcome, both of you, to Religion for Life. I'm delighted to be here. I'm always happy to talk to anybody who might want to listen about taking what we call the environment, which is really everything, and relating it to our faith life. All right. And Carol, welcome. Thanks, John. I'm really happy to be here with Sister Paula. And I'm glad to have Carol has been on this program before talking about the work of the Green Interfaith Network. And we're going to talk about the work of that important group a little bit later in our program. Uh, but Sister Paula, you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to be known as the Solar Nun. Well, I'm probably one of the only people that's taken an old chicken barn and an old garage and made them into solar buildings. And I'm 81 years old. 
I am a biologist by academic training. I taught at our college. I'm a sister of charity of Cincinnati, and we have a college on our grounds. And I taught there for about 25 years. And most recently, I've been doing workshops and lectures and retreats around the country uh, for the last 20 years, I guess. And uh, I am passionate about our earth, which is God uh, basically around us. We are, we are surrounded by the divine mystery. However one understands that, we're surrounded by it. Right now, we've been outside recently here in Tennessee watching the dogwood trees and the, the uh, redbuds. Everything is just in Easter delight, I would say, mm-hmm. at this time. So uh, it's very delightful to be able to be with, with people. But I'm the solar nun because of this. these projects that I've done, taking two old buildings using primarily used materials, volunteer help, Money from yard sales to to you call that above ground mining. That's that... it. Yes, that's it. And uh, so it's mining. It's mine. The mines of the industrial society mm-hmm. is what I mine. And I've made about uh, two hundred thousand dollars mining above ground. Hmm. So uh, this is not little. Right. This is big. It can be even bigger. And of course, reuse. Practically everything in my two buildings remodelings was reused materials, which would otherwise have been either stored somewhere and no one was ever going to use them or thrown away. And this was a, a, a chicken coop that you've made a, into a, a home. A large chicken coop. We are, were a very large. We were a large community at that time of sisters. We had a big farm. Our mother house is on 175 acres, and there was a lot of sisters living at the convent building there. So they had a very large chicken barn, 100 by 50 feet, so a very large, they raised a lot of chickens, eggs, you know, we had the whole thing and had a farm. Mm-hmm. So we f- we lived off the land, we fed ourselves off. That's a long time ago. So the building was sitting there, and it had a south-facing roof. And so I thought, hmm, that's ready for solar. And so that's how I got involved in it, was I went and asked our, our leadership people, can I use that old building, which was not being used for anything. Can I use that old building? And they looked at me. I said, what do you want to do? Well, I want to build a solar, make it into a solar building. Oh, well, they kind of went like, rolled their eyes in usual fashion. And I said the magic words, I won't need any money. (laughs) And so the project was okay. I I am told by some of the people who knew that nobody ever thought I was going to pull it off. Well, how did you find the design for it? Or did you we create developed this yourself? It. You developed oh, it yourself. Well, I just learned enough architecture, et cetera, to, to draw it out. I made We have blueprints for it that mm-hmm. I drew. So we started from there. Hmm. And then, so if someone wanted blueprints for that, they could they could find it or find oh, blueprints of something like that? Oh, there's lots of blueprints about solar houses. Yeah. yeah. Think, yeah. You know, get online, and I'm sure you Back in those days, there wasn't online. Uh-huh. This is 1980. Okay. So uh, 30 years ago so oh, that you did yeah, 30, this. 30, 30 some years ago, yeah. And you've been giving, of course, lectures, and, and you've written a number of articles on eco-spirituality and ecology and uh, 1,800 presentations, I think, something of that 18 nature. 18 or 1,900, I don't know, I stopped counting. How did you, what was the moment that kind of woke you up? Can you think of, of that when you began to really be aware yeah, of our I, concern? Yeah, I, I had a very definite moment of, of wake up. In 1960, what? What year is that? I can't remember. The 69, the year that the Apollo astronauts sent the first picture of the whole Earth from space, ah, that which Earth I always rise. wear at all times if I can. And uh, 
I saw that picture of the whole earth out in the middle of the blackness of the universe, and it grabbed me by the hair of the head, and I became a planetary citizen on the spot. Wow. Just like that. And all of a sudden, I started seeing that my world was much bigger than what we normally live in and what many people still normally live in, which is a very little tiny piece of this magnificent planet that we live on. It's kind of a, a change, really, in a cosmic consciousness. Totally, totally. It's a cosmic, you got the right, and that's the language that's being used these days a lot. It's a cosmic consciousness. And if you're thinking cosmically, then you realize that, for example, in the various religions, you have some uh, concept of the cosmos, mm -hmm. according to what pe different people think the divine God, whatever you want to call this mystery, uh, has made this earth. At one time, we thought it was the center of the earth. We were so totally anthropocentric that we thought it was the center of the earth. Then little by little, scientists, who always were seen with doubtful eyes by many people, found out, no, that's not true. That's not true. The earth is going around the sun. Hmm. And that mm -hmm. took a while. You know, that took a while, okay? And finally, well, you couldn't any longer say no. That Too many things were telling you that that's the way it was happening. So we had the seasons and you had you know, all these things. So finally we got over to where we have the sun as center. But for me, the other thing about the cosmos that's really important is that within the cosmos, which in a sense is the entire divine reality, if you wish, is the universe with all its billions of galaxies billions of stars, et cetera, which we never, you know, it's kind of hard to grasp that, mm -hmm. that in there someplace there's a star we call the sun that has these pieces of real estate running around them called planets. And we are on planet number three, and this is a peculiar planet. When you look at it, it's blue. It's not the other colors of the planets that we've seen. And guess what? It's got water. In fact, probably 91% of it is water. So it really shouldn't be called Earth. It should be called water right. because it's mostly water. And we are mostly water. You know, we are 91% salt water, just mm. like the planet. So mother-daughter, right. if you wish. <laughs> ah, anyway, to try to realize that I think is very important and to realize of the fresh water, which we depend on for our life, there's only a minute amount. Yeah, and, and you know, you think we're talking about what we've learned from science, uh, the moon landing, the picture, a whole understanding of cause uh, of our of our universe, and at the same time, we also realize that we are in a particularly precarious situation right now in regards to very, population, energy. Very can you talk? A, can you say a little bit about the state of our? Okay, uh, I've our, been our, I've been working on the state of our planet for yeah. forty five years or so, very carefully, very very intentionally and with my entire attention and my passionate being given to it. Uh, I operate, probably as a biologist, understanding that we that the planet, our planet that we have, is composed of earth, dirt, rock, etc., air, water, and sun. Okay, sun's there. Sun is providing the energy for anything that's going to happen on the planet. So that, to me, is fundamental. Mm -hmm. So obviously I got involved in solar energy because it dawned on me, this planet is powered by the sun. Why aren't we using that to power it? 
hmm. instead of fossil fuels, which are also provided by the sun, you realize, because those were at one time giant plants that got buried under all the rock and, you know, went down to be fossils, and now we dig them up. But they're really just the product of photosynthesis. The same thing that's happening, mm -hmm. that's greening this spring right now, is what was happening billions of, millions of years ago. And they're limited. And they're limited. That's the important thing. And we're beginning to understand, some of us are, beginning to understand they're finite. They will not go on forever. There is not any more. I have a wonderful slide that I use sometimes that shows, it's a European slide, that shows the coal, oil, and natural gas in, in uh, graphs. And right about now, all three of them are going down. Some say we've reached a peak oh, of... We, we, of are, we, uh, are, we are already, for fossil fuels, pretty much at the peak. It's, it's interesting that right now, you know, we have this new and exciting thing called fracking going on in many places, mm. unfortunately, which is people's thinking, oh, there's still more down there that we can get out if we do it a different way. And, and yes, but even that's finite. And what's going to happen in the meanwhile is an effect of that we don't know. But that's another of my... Right, I mean, we can go as fast as we can and get it out, but it also has effects on the other side, doesn't it? Oh, it's in got which many we, effects. Once we burn these the things problem, into the atmosphere. But the problem with that is even now, in terms of the fracking, because I want to speak to that. Okay. The new technologies that we come up with, we are not at all looking at the long picture. You know, the Native Americans, seven generations, mm -hmm. so see what their great-grandchildren, et cetera, are going to encounter as a result of this. We don't do that at all with our new technologies. We have no idea what fracking up everything, and all countries are now doing it, looking for shale, uh, it's going to be in 100 years, in 50 years, in 10 years. Well, there's enough effects right now that I would be very skeptical about continuing fracking at gigantic amounts without studying it a little long before we do it. But we don't do that. Because the market determines, oh, jobs, you got lots of jobs, et cetera. The so, market and the election cycle. The, and the ele <laughs> well, that's what I was about to say. We are living right now at a time in history when all of our major human institutions are not working. Hmm. The political system is not working anywhere on the globe. The economic system, definitely not working. The social systems are really not working. Our educational systems need tremendous thought and revision in order to prepare people to live with the challenges that we're currently facing. You follow? Yeah. And, and so the religious systems are really also not in tune. And we'll, we will not have, we will not be able to have a future that is sustainable. That's the new word that's now being used the most for environmental concerns and other things, sustainable. How do we reach a, how do we develop a sustainable future? Because at this point, that job is in human hands. My guest, if you're just joining us on Religion for Life, is Sister Paula Gonzalez, uh, known as the Solar Nun, talking about ecological and spiritual concerns, and Carol Landis of the Green Interfaith Network. Uh, Sister Paula, you talked about uh, all of the different kinds of systems, and this really is a spiritual problem, isn't it, in, in terms of understanding? So. Um, Very much talk, so. Talk a little bit about, if you would, eco-spirituality. Eco-spirituality is a new word that 10 years ago, when you saw it written, it had a hyphen. The hyphen has been dropped, which means hmm. it is now 
award in its own right, which I think is kind okay. of exciting. That's an interesting evolution yeah. that's occurred in that language. So people get the idea somehow, eco, they understand ecology. Now, that's become a very common word. And then most people have a notion of what spirituality might mean, but in many cases, they automatically connect it with religions, with the specific mm -hmm. religions that different people practice. It's very important for us to understand that if you look in the history, uh, humanity has had spirituality for at least 70,000 years. In the way okay. you look at those back things mm -hmm. and the things that we have from the very far past, it was clear these people were spiritual. They were connecting with the great creator, with the whatever the mystery was that they believed in was a lot bigger than we are and which was responsible for all this wonderful world that we live in. Okay, They were connected to it. They respected it. They reverenced it. And we have lost that reverence and respect because everything is sacred if you start understanding it from this perspective. And religion has made it dualistic, hasn't it? Yes. It's separated out Very uh, much. The, the body from the spirit or, yeah. or, or the, the sacredness from the soul. profane or those kinds yeah. of terms. I don't have a body and soul. Mm -hmm. I do not have a body and soul. So when some of the prayers tell you to work on your soul, I don't know what they're talking about. Because I'm just... It's all the just, same. Just it's, all, it's all one. All or one, integrated. All one. And for those people in the Christian persuasion, it's clear that that oneness was very much represented by the divine reality becoming human for us for 33 years and leaving a tremendous legacy which enables us to connect, to become part of. And in, in many of the Christian faiths, the concept of the mystical body of Christ is very real. And so what does that mean? Each one of us, I'm an old cell biologist, so each one of us is a cell in the mystical body. That's what the right. church is supposed to be about. And here church, I use church as a Catholic nun. I use church with a small c because it includes all my sisters and brothers in the Presbyterians and the, and the Methodists and the you know, whoever, and the Buddhists, and the Hindus, and the Jews, and the everybody. For me, that's all the church. There's a sense also church is also our, our non-human friends too, isn't it? Oh, including. See, because my church goes and includes not just all these different religious people, or not just all the people, but all the creatures. Everything. See, yeah, it used to, we've often thought the, the legacy of church has often been to dominate earth or to populate it, be fruitful and multiply and, and have fill control over, fill all the earth. And what you're talking about is a different kind of Christianity that actually goes deeper. Oh, much deeper, much deeper, because the relatedness that is found in the Trinity, which mm -hmm. is, is at least in the Christian dimension, people understand as God uh, in a certain sense in different phases, but one, oneness. Uh, it, it's quite fascinating to me that that's the, that's the model on which our entire earth is built. It's a sort of Trinitarian model, if you wish. An ecosystem has three parts. The producers, the green plants, they're the ones that capture the energy from the sun and make it into sugar, make mm. it into goodies. And then we can't do that. I don't know any green people. I mean, I know people that are getting greener, I'm happy to say. Greener being now ecologically right. uh, aware. But we don't, we don't have chlorophyll. 
We just don't have it. So we've got to depend. Notice this. The animals have to depend on the plants. Now, we've always thought of the plants as the lower forms of life. Notice the hierarchical mm -hmm. arrangement. And then finally, we think about, if we think about them at all, the, the decomposers. The microbes and the little critters that tear everything up and when dust jar and dust utile return, they're mm -hmm. responsible for that. We have to really honor them because without them, what are we missing? Both of these creatures die, the plants and the animals, and they get taken apart. And what do you end up with? All the raw materials that the earth needs to continue this marvelous cycle. Now, for me, those three are very much Trinitarian, for those of you out there who are Christian, but even if you're not, look at that combination. Absolutely necessary to have all three of them because otherwise you have no raw materials to continue the cycle. And since it is Easter season, for those of you who are Christian, we're just two weeks away from celebrating the death resurrection mystery. And so what do we have? We have death bringing new life, death bringing new life. That's exciting to think the entire Earth is built on that one simple plan. Mm. I don't know about you, but I find that very exciting. And that idea, of course, of that importance of, of recognizing our balance. Uh, we are products of Earth and need to be in balance, and we've been terribly out of balance. That's right. With, you with just the, used a very important word, because balance is the name of the game. We, are, we have got to restore balance to our Earth. And, and and God is God, whatever people understand by that, is not, even though God is, is all-powerful, God is not going to be able to do that because we, we have free will. And we were able to go ahead and do the amounts of destruction that we've done on the planet. So guess who's got to clean it up? We do. Another thing is God is spirit. Most people understand God as, as spirit, okay? Mm -hmm. So God has no hands or feet. Except God does have hands and feet. And, and I often God's ask people, look at your hands. Sense, right? There's yeah. God's hands and feet. And that's what we're really asking us to do. And that's true whether you happen to be a practicing Christian or a Buddhist. I think I'm part Buddhist in any way because mm -hmm. they have such a reverence in, the, in that religion, such a reverence and, and the and, and interdependence of everything. It's that interdependency that we need to return to. We have made everything separated. We have the gated communities. We have the 1% and the 99%. Mm -hmm. We have the very rich who are so rich they wouldn't have any idea what to do with all their money and the people who don't get to eat every day. Yeah. You know, Sister Paula Gonzalez, my guest on Religion for Life. We just have a, a few minutes left, but I wanted to ask you, what, what are steps that people can do and or that you've seen people do that have been successful as we prepare for our future and actually make our future, prepare for our present, in a sense? Yes. Actually, there's thousands of things. And on this, you, uh, you can get at least thousands of books, mm -hmm. websites, you name it. It's there. It's a decision that I'm going to make a little difference, even if it's just a little tiny difference. Once you take that on, <clears throat> you have become part of this movement that is going to help co-create, if you wish, I like to use that term, co-create a sustainable future. That's what I think we need to do. And, and to do that, in many cases, turning off the lights that you don't need. I have my special shirt on that I wear because I talked to a group of grade school. And that's, and that's a, a photo uh, so or a, a drawing reduce, of Earth. Yeah. Reduce, 
reuse, recycle. But most people have only heard those three words. But my new shirt, which is only about two years old, restore and replenish. Mm. Woo, that's a little far beyond just the recycling piece. So we're just in the early stages. Recycling is critical, but if we didn't buy one of some of the stuff, if we reduced our needs, mm-hmm. things we think we need, we don't really need. If you look at your needs and ask yourself, what do I really need? If you're in a room that's got 25 light fixtures, as most of them do, mm-hmm. does it only have one switch? Yes. In my solar house, there are on the wall of the one large room where we meet four switches. Two of them are in the back, and you have to walk to the front of the room to turn the other two on. You can't put right. them on all at once. So it's that kind of thinking, thinking ahead. One of the things we don't do is think ahead. Yeah. And I want to um, also ask, Carol Landis is uh, my guest, a board member of the Green Interfaith Network of Ginny, doing some of this work with congregations. Can you tell us a little yes. bit about our, our programs of, of Cool Congregation or other works that yes. uh, Ginny is doing in our area? Yes, Absolutely. Um, Green Interfaith Network was recently funded by the Harris Fund of the East Tennessee Foundation to conduct energy audits or energy assessments, probably a friendlier term, um, for five congregations in Washington County. And as that money is returned, it's an incentive. We provide a $500 incentive and a walkthrough. As that money is returned to us, we are then free to offer it to other congregations to do the same thing. And an important component of that is having Uh, 10 households in each congregation also participate in their homes. We find that it's infectious and that as Mm. people begin to see the gains, it enables the congregation to reallocate money that had been going toward utility costs, toward important ministries that may have been underfunded. And it also helps family members come together. It builds community within the congregation toward a very important purpose. So look for more of that, the Cool Congregations program that Ginny offers. And there's information about that on our website, which is greeninterfaith.org. All right. Carol Landis and Sister Paula Gonzalez, the Solar Nun, have been my guests on Religion for Life. Uh, Thank you so much for being with me. But I want to, Sister Paula, you're going to give us a bumper sticker. I want you to have a bumper sticker. Mine's wearing out, but I'm going to try to find another one. Think about that. We are going to someday, if we become sustainable, we are going to run this planet off the sun. Hmm. And so I have my bumper sticker that says... One solution comes up every day. (laughs) Ah, perfect, perfect. Thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks, John. Mm -hmm. You've been listening to Religion for Life, a program at the intersection of religion, social justice, and public life. My name is John Shuck, minister at First Presbyterian Church of Elizabethton, Tennessee. Our website is fpcelizabethton.org. You can find more information about this program and links to podcasts at religionforlife.com. Follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and listen to us on iTunes. Religion for Life is co-produced by WETS-FM in Johnson City, Tennessee and WEHC-FM in Virginia. Be well.